Hey, welcome Valley family to the official kickoff of our summer series uh, that we're calling it Summer Mixtape uh, right there. And we're just going to be hitting a whole lot of just things that are real important over uh, the next few weeks and couple months here during uh, the time where folks are in and out. We just hope you'll stay with us, you know, catch up. Be there for our online campus. Want to just a uh, big shout out to everybody joining us on our online campus today. And I want to talk about something I think is real important uh, specifically uh, today because of what's going to be coming next week. And we'll get there in, in just a second. But specifically what I want to talk about is following the leader. What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? What does that really mean? You know, now, especially with social media, you know, we talk about, you know, look at how many followers you have, and, and maybe if someone posts something you don't like, you unfollow them, and it's easy to follow someone, especially on social media nowadays. But that's not how it's supposed to be as a follower of Jesus Christ. Everything Jesus said, there's nothing easy about following him. And I think sometimes we, we call ourselves Christians, and, and there's a lot of historical precedent for that, even biblical. Uh, by the way, it was a derogatory thing that, that people that were antagonistic to people that had faith in Christ called them Christians, little Christ. Oh, they think they're little Christ. Uh, but, but more so, this whole idea you find throughout Scripture that Jesus uses well is being a follower, a follower of Jesus Christ. So I think it's real important as we're kicking this series off, as I said, this summer mixtape series, answering the question, what does it mean to be really a follower of Jesus Christ? And let's, let's let Jesus answer it for us instead of, you know, I go to church regularly, uh, instead of I wear a cross around my neck, instead of I was born in America. Some people think they're, they're Christians because they're born in America. Uh, you know, whatever that is, I read my Bible, all those things are good, but that doesn't mean you're a follower of Christ. So let's see how Jesus answered this question. Kind of a lengthy passage I want to unpack for you as we start off. And all these notes are on Valley website, valleyny.cc. You can follow right along with us. Mark chapter 8, verse 27 through 38. Jesus said to his disciples, when he went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi, now this is important, we'll circle back around to it in a minute, on the way, he asked them, who do people say that I am? And then he replied, some say, uh, they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. Now, it's interesting, Caesarea Philippi was known for having all kinds of idols there. And, and at the time, uh, in, in the culture, they believed in reincarnation. And so that's why these answers, the people are saying, oh, you're, you're Elijah, you know, you're the reincarnation of Elijah. Or, or uh, you know, John the Baptist had just been beheaded even, you know, just a short time before this, but maybe you're, you, you've got his spirit. Again, he's coming to someone else's body or one of the prophets. And then goes on and it says, but what about you, Jesus asked them, who do you say I am? And Peter answered, you're the Messiah. And watch this. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. Why would he do that? Well, the reason was because they had an incomplete perspective of who the Messiah was going to be, or could I say incorrect perspective of what the Messiah was going to do. Jesus was the Messiah, there's no question about it, but in Judaism 2,000 years ago, they believed that the Messiah, the Son of God, the promised one, was going to come as a military leader 
and was going to come and overthrow the present regime, which was the Roman Empire, and was going to reestablish the Davidic kingdom, King David's kingdom over Israel physically, tangibly on planet Earth. And so that word Messiah had already been kind of defined for their culture. And Jesus was like, you're right, but don't tell anybody that because I'm going to rightly define who the Messiah is, what the Messiah's purpose was. You've wrongly defined it. And so he says, don't go telling it. There's more you need to learn about who I really am, Peter, before you start to tell other people who I am. And so he says, Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. And then it goes on and says, he then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer things and be rejected by the elders, the leaders in Judaism, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. So he's like, I'm not a military leader. I'm not here to overthrow the Romans. I'm here to, to bring the kingdom of God, which is found in the hearts of men, and I'm gonna lay my life down. I'm gonna sacrifice my life. I've come as a servant. So he's beginning to redefine in the right way what the Messiah is, who the Messiah really is. And he's explaining it to them, and he goes on and he says, he spoke plainly about this. And in this message today, I want to speak really plainly about what it means to be a follower of Christ. Because there's so many, you know, 2,000 years, there's so many layers, there's so many wrong perspectives. And again, we always here at Valley, we go back to God's word. What does God's word say? Not what does church tradition say? Not as what my grandma say, you know, I love grandma, grandpa. But, but what does Jesus' words, what does God's word actually say? That's where we find our final authority. That's what is the final authority for us. And he spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside, watch this, this is crazy, took him aside and began to rebuke him. How about that? Peter, <laughs> Peter says, you're the Messiah, and he's like, you're right, don't tell anybody. Then Jesus says, he's gonna suffer, he's gonna die, he's gonna sacrifice, and then Peter, you know, he says you're God, basically, and now he's rebuking God. Peter was kind of a mess. There's no question about it. He's rebuking Jesus now because Jesus is explaining this is who the Messiah is. This is who he is as the Messiah. This is what's going to happen. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. Now watch this. You do not have in mind the things of God but the things of men. And when it comes to following Jesus Christ, there's all kinds of ideas that men have, that human beings have, that have nothing to do with what God, how God defined his followers. And there's traditions that have developed over the last two millennia that have nothing to do, you can't find it anywhere in the Bible. And it's the things of men. It's the ideas of men. Well, if I'm just a good person, then I'm going to go to heaven. No, that's the ideas of men. And Jesus kind of like just cut the legs right out from underneath Peter and he goes, get behind me, Satan. You do not have the thoughts of God. You have the thoughts of men. And this is one of the big reasons why he said don't tell anybody because Peter, you're incomplete and you really have an incorrect perspective of who the Messiah is. And he goes on and says, then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples, and he said, if anyone would come after me, and here he's gonna define what does it look like to be a follower of Jesus Christ. If anybody's gonna come after me, what does that mean? Follow after me. If 
anyone's going to follow after me, and I just, I just stopped it right there so you could kind of like take a breath because this is the clearest Jesus is speaking plainly. This is what a follower of Christ's life looks like. This is a life that is following after Christ. This is what it's going to look like. And he goes on and he says, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me, Jesus says. It's not about what I want. It's about what Jesus wants. That is a follower of Christ. I am living my life to please him, not myself. He must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. Every one of us is going to die. That, that's, a, that's a fact. I mean, even those that you know, eat all organic food, you're going to die too just with a nasty taste in your mouth. All of us are going to die. It's kind of morbid to think about, but we're all gonna, no one's cheating this. No one's getting by this. And, and so he says, for whoever seeks to save his life, you're trying to hang on, trying to live long, you're going to lose it. But whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. Whoever I surrender my life to Jesus, Jesus, my life is yours to do whatever you want, and I'm going to follow your lead. Follow the leader. Jesus is the leader. He's the Lord. He's my Savior, and he's my Lord. I'm going to follow the leader, the leadership of Jesus in my life. My life is not my own. He, whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. That doesn't mean becoming a preacher. That, that may be God's plan for me. That may not be God's plan for you. But God's got a plan. And his plan is the perfect plan for your life. And, and God's got a plan for my life. And that's the perfect plan for my life. And the closer I can follow that plan, the more fulfilled I'm going to be, the more fulfilled you're going to be. But Jesus continues to talk and he goes on and says, what good is it for a man to gain the whole world yet forfeit his soul? He's like, it's not about earthly possessions. It's not about power. It's not about fame. It's not about fortune. It's about your soul. What, what good is it? Because that's all temporary, everything in this world. It's about your soul. Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man, that's one of the titles of Jesus, he's saying, I will be ashamed of him when he comes to his Father's glory and with his holy angels. And so this is one of these just real plain spoken, clearly defined and communicated where Jesus is saying, this is really important. Don't, don't have any mistakes about this. Well, you may, maybe right now you're saying, well, Greg, why are you talking about this? Well, because we're a big church and we're all in different places in terms of our spiritual walk and in terms of our following. And I think it's real easy, especially as we're coming up on summer here and school's gonna be letting out and all that. It's real easy not to follow Jesus during the summer but forget about him and think that's okay with him. And Jesus like, that's not okay. You're either a follower or you're not a follower. It's not like follow me for a little bit, take a season off, you know, summers don't count or anything like that. And so I think it's real important to kind of frame the summer as we start this summer series with the words that Jesus used to frame what a follower really looks like. And we're all in different places on our spiritual journey. And the reality of this in our spiritual following of Jesus 
When you figure out how to live life God's way, you'll experience real life now and eternal life later. And so we need to figure out what does it look like to follow him? What does a real follower of Jesus look like? Let me put it this way. Uh, Well, in another place, Jesus, in another gospel, instead of in Mark, in Luke, Jesus put it this way. In Luke chapter nine, verse 23, then he said to them all, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross spring, fall, and winter, but but not summer. Nope, that's not what it said. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, every single day. After he decides he's going to be a follower, after she decides she's going to be a follower, it is a daily following. It's not a seasonal one. It's not when it's convenient. It's not when I have nothing else to do. Every single day. He's like, if anyone wants to follow me, they got to do it every single day. And there's a process in this following. Uh, and, and, and what I want to do is just encourage yourself, we do this from time to time, to just identify where are you in your following of Jesus? Where are you in this process right now? Let me kind of share with you the process. Uh, First of all, it's kind of like the crowd. In in the crowd, that's kind of like come and see. We do a lot of things here at Valley that's like come and see. So we have events. We've got a family movie night coming up July 4th weekend and going to have food trucks in in the back and and it's going to be a great time and and, uh, a great time of fellowship. It's just like come, come. We do all kinds of stuff and we're amping up, you know, all these things that we used to do pre-COVID as things are starting to kind of simmer down and settle out, uh, and, and we're amping up all these things. Again, we do a lot of things, even Sunday morning is about come and see, really. Come and see, and, and the Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. That's what Sunday is about. That's what our online campus is about. So many people find us on our online campus first, and then come and see, uh, it, you know, one of our services, one of our three services on Sunday. So, so maybe you're in the crowd, we're glad that you're in the crowd. We're glad you're kicking the tires, seeing what it's all about. And, and then the second step in the following is congregation. And that's come and join us. Come, come and become a part of the Valley family where you're not just an attender. You're actually making that commitment to be a part of the Valley family and the congregation. Then is committed. And the committed is come and grow. Best place for this, and watch this now. This is like the crowd come and see. That's like Sundays and, and our events. The congregation come and join us, that's growth track. That, that's where you become a member, a partner of the Valley Christian Church, an official member of our family. And, and you're no longer just an attender. And you find out the unique purpose that God created you for and the personality he created you with and where that fits into the big picture of what God's doing. The committed come and grow. That's our small groups. And even this Sunday, our small groups, our valley groups, sign up is launching. You can sign up for a small group right now because we believe people grow better in small groups than they do looking at the back of somebody's head or looking at a screen on the online campus. It's when you kind of get in a circle and, and, and you begin to share your life with one another. That, that's really where people grow. This past week, you know, most of you know that we had a wedding. My, my daughter, Michaela, uh, our pastor of preschool ministries, married uh, Josh Silva, who is our comptroller and uh, also helps with the tech here on, on staff. And, and it was so huge of a blessing to have people come, not, not only family that came to the wedding, but there was, I, I think there was like 30 people that were at that wedding 
that at one time or another had been in a small group that Susie and I were a part of because we shared our lives together. And now we wanted to share this event with them as well. This lifetime of sharing your life together, growing together. And so that, that's the, the committed is, is in our groups. The next one is the core, and, and that's come and serve. Here at Valley, we call that our dream team. That's the core of our church. Those that are serving every day, 100 plus people every single, just, just every Sunday, just to serve, to make happen what we have happen on a regular basis. That, that's what Jesus came and he said, I didn't come to be served, I came to serve. When we're following Jesus, we come to serve, not to be served. Now you're meddling, Greg. Yeah, but Jesus said it, don't get upset with me. If you're not serving, you're not following. Jesus said he came to serve. Those are our dream teams. That's what we believe is the core of the Valley family, of our church family. And then finally, the commissioned. The commission is come and die. That means Jesus is not my Savior. He's my Lord. Whatever he asks of me, that's what I'm going to do. And so identify not where you were in 2019, not, not where you were in 2020, but where are you right now in June of 2021 in terms of your following of Jesus? It's not what you did, it's what you're doing. Where are you now? Because there's, there's no statute of limitations. There's no like, okay, you punched your card back in 2019. You know, you, uh, you were in a small group. You don't have to do that anymore. You, you, you were on, on a dream team. You don't have to do that anymore. There, there's no, you're either moving forward in your following or you're drifting away. Because remember, it's supposed to be daily, Jesus said. So just identify where are you right now in terms of your following. Find out where you are and take that next step. Because here's the thing that's so important, and this is kind of like the, the, the big statement of this message today. Spiritual decisions give you the greatest return in life because you're a spiritual being. Spiritual decisions give you the greatest return. Not, not where am I going on vacation, that doesn't give you the biggest return on your investment. Not even what am I, where am I gonna invest my finances, that doesn't give you the biggest return. The spiritual decisions that you make. Because your body, you're going to part ways with your body one day. I'm going to part ways with my body one day. But my spirit's going to go on eternally. So spiritual decisions give you the greatest return in life. Because you're a spiritual being. You have a body, but you're not a body. You're a spirit. And so really important that we identify where we are. And, and, and when we do, and when we identify where we are, and we take that step, that next step, here's what happens. We begin to move from no commitment to total commitment. We, we move from consumer to contributor. And ultimately, we move from Savior to Lord. That Savior is, this is what Jesus did for me. This is what Jesus does for me. Lord is, I'm here to do what he wants. It's not about what he does for me. It's about what I can do for him. Big difference between Savior and Lord. A lot of people are followers, but they're following Jesus for what he can do for them. Instead of recognizing, thank you, Jesus, what you did for me. No one could ever do that. No. Live a sinless life. He died a sacrificial death as a substitute for me and for you. And he rose again so that 
I could be forgiven. You could be forgiven. And we could have a relationship with him and with the Holy Heavenly Father. But that's not the basis of my relationship with him anymore. My basis of my relationship is, Jesus, what do you want me to do today? That's the Lord. He, I surrender my life to him. We, we move from Jesus is just my Savior to Jesus is just my Lord. And, and what I want to do right now in this message, I want to kind of shift just a little bit because there's something that's really significant that's happened in the last 18 months of our church. And, and, and I, I, don't want, I don't want you to check out, but I want to talk to a very specific group of people about the next step. And let me just share with you what's happened in the last 18 months through a pandemic. What God has done, which he deserves all the glory, he deserves all the praise, because this, this is so rare across our nation. What's happened through the Valley family in the last 18 months. In 2020, we actually saw 60 salvations in 2020. Now, we, we weren't even allowed to meet physically for four months. We had no meetings at all, but online. And these are actually verified. Uh, this is not some guess or anything. This is people who have texted that number that today I've received Jesus Christ as my Savior. 60 people. In 2020, in the middle of a pandemic. Now before, and you may have heard me quote this before, before the pandemic, before 2020, on average, 50% of churches in America did not see one salvation in a given year. Not one. That number, I don't even know, what it, but it even got worse in 2020. But not for us, thank God. God is doing some incredible things. 60 people had a life changing eternity changing encounter with the risen savior jesus christ and received him as their savior and lord but but that's not all just since the beginning of this year we've seen an additional 28 salvations we're on track to hit that again as we're starting now the month of june we're not even six months through we're on track to hit that probably even go over that this year so so just in 18 months we've had 88 people the the trajectory of their lives have changed their family trees are going to be different from this day forward only god could do that and he deserves all the glory for that and, and i just want to give him all the glory and the praise for that because only god can can touch a person's heart like that i want to talk about to these 88 people I and mean, these are the verified names and numbers that we have I want to talk to these 88 people right now. And, and maybe you're here and maybe you didn't text that number. I want to talk to you as well. And anyone else that this may apply to. In terms of taking next steps. Because the next step after salvation, the Bible always shows the next step is what's called baptism. And we have that coming up next week, June the 13th. And it's really important. And I want to, I want to share with you the remaining time we have why this is so important. If you've not been baptized since placing your faith in Jesus Christ. Look at Acts chapter 2, verse 41. I think it's so important that, again, we go back to the Bible. What, what does the Bible say? Acts chapter 2, verse 41, it says, Those who accepted his message were baptized, as, as Peter's standing up and he's preaching on the day of Pentecost, those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Now, let me just 
explain this. 27 times in the New Testament, it says there's 27 different accounts in the New Testament of people being baptized. Every single account of people being baptized in the New Testament always follows this progression. An individual makes a decision for themselves, and then as quickly as possible, they're baptized in water. And this is, the, this is the, the structure here. They accept personally for myself. No one can do it for me. They accepted his message, and they were baptized. 3,000 of them. Baptism in water after someone places their faith in Christ, and then they're baptized in water. That has been, historically, the symbol that someone has surrendered their life to Christ. Now, I know some traditions, maybe that you come from, they baptize infants. There's not one instance of that anywhere in the Bible. Not one. That's something that, that developed over history, uh, and, and that's more of a dedication is what it is. And, and, and it's a significant moment in the life of parents, in, in the life of a child. That's why we dedicate our children to the Lord, just like Jesus was dedicated as an infant at the temple. We follow his lead. He's the leader. We follow his example. And, and so we had that on Mother's Day. 20 plus kids, I think it was, uh, that we dedicated to the Lord. We follow the example. But Jesus was baptized in water even though he'd been dedicated. And he was baptized when he was 30 years old. When he made the personal decision to do that, and he actually even told John the Baptist, who was the one who did it, he said, I must do this to fulfill all righteousness, to follow the commandments and the will of God. I need to be baptized. He made that personal decision. And so I ask you, have you made that personal decision to be baptized? Not if your parents dedicated you or not, but, but have you accepted the message of Jesus Christ and then were you baptized? This is the structure. This is the example. In fact, I, I like to use it this way that like, Baptism is like a, a, a wedding ring. You know, I don't know where that, that tradition came from uh, of wedding rings, but, but you don't have to wear a wedding ring. But this wedding, it's not because I have this on that makes me married. This, this wedding ring is a symbol of the commitment that I've made to Jesus Christ. I'm, I'm sorry, that I made to Susie. Baptism is a symbol of the commitment that I made to Jesus Christ. And, and so, you know, I don't have to wear this. It's not because I have it that I'm married. It, it's a symbol of the commitment that I've made. That's what water baptism is. It's a symbol of the commitment that you personally made to Jesus Christ, that he's your savior and that he's your Lord. And a ring doesn't make you married any more than, uh, you, know, uh, you know, just going to church makes you a Christian. It's a symbol, baptism, that you have surrendered your life to Christ and received forgiveness for your sins. In fact, you know, it's a symbol, wedding, a big wedding. You don't have to, you don't have to have a bunch of people in front of you to have a big wedding. You know, to, to be married, you can go down to justice of the peace as long as there's two witnesses. Nobody's got to be there. But it's really cool when you invite a bunch of people. Oh, look at that. They just put that up. There it is. That's from last week right there. Uh, wedding picture. Uh, and, and you know what we did? We, we did what people do when they make a big commitment in their life. We invited a bunch of folks to witness the commitment. 
That's what water baptism is about. That's what we're going to do on June 13th. A bunch of folks, and there are my three daughters, and there's my son now, Josh, and those are his siblings over there, uh, and his brother-in-law. You know, you don't have to do it big, but, but most of the time when you make a big commitment in your life, you want to do it big. So there's a lot of other people that witness that. And, and so let me give you three things real quick about baptism, why it's so important. Water baptism after putting your faith in Christ. And, and just, just go right through this because it's so clear in Scripture. Here's the first thing. Why be baptized? To follow the example set by Jesus. To follow the example set by Jesus Christ himself. Jesus' parents didn't baptize him. Jesus' parents dedicated him. Jesus made the decision when he was 30 years old. And we need to be able to say this as well. You know, like the Apostle Paul, 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. We, we need to set that example as parents for our kids. We, we need to set that example as spiritual leaders in our homes, in our community. And for 1 John chapter 2, verse 4, really puts it really, really clear. And I'm just going to read this to you. It's one of those verses that's kind of like, whoa. In any translation you read it, it's like, wow. Look at what 1 John 2, 4 says. Someone may say, I'm a Christian. I'm on my way to heaven. I belong to Christ. But if he doesn't do what Christ tells him to, he's a liar. Ouch. Ouch. If we say we're following Jesus, but we don't follow his example in being water baptized after making the decision, we're not following him. We're just not. We're, uh, we're cutting corners. We're not telling the truth. We're not being honest. So, so we need to be baptized in water to follow Jesus Christ's example. Second thing is to demonstrate my changed life to demonstrate my changed life. A again, none of this makes sense in terms of an infant. It's about making that decision ourselves and then following Jesus' example. Look at what 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 21 says. In baptism, we show. It's supposed to be a show. Some people say, oh, I don't like the big show. We're supposed to show our baptism. A and that's why we're inviting even, you know, uh, at 6 o'clock, June 13th, we're inviting the Valley family out because we want to witness. It's like a big old wedding. It's like getting that ring. We, we, we want it to be a big show. It's supposed to show. In baptism, we show that we have been saved from death and doom by the resurrection of Christ. Not because our bodies are washed clean in the water, but because in being baptized, we're turning to God and we're asking him to cleanse our hearts from sin. An infant cannot do that. Only someone who makes a decision can do that. And, and baptism follows that decision that a person makes. God, I surrender my life to you, and I'm asking you to cleanse me from sin. And then it's the symbolism of going under the water. And this is what Jesus was too. The word baptize is the New Testament word, baptismo, and it literally means dunk to dunk. It's like Dunkin' Donuts. It's like baptismo donuts. And, and the word is, means full immersion in the Roman army when a naval ship sank to the bottom, they would say, or the bottom of the sea to the bottom of the water, they would say baptismo. That, that's what the literal the word means, is to dunk, to completely immerse. 
And so to demonstrate that we've had a changed life. And here's the third thing about baptism that's so important, to declare my commitment publicly. That's what baptism is, to declare my commitment publicly. I I mean, the reality is this. uh, The devil wants you to keep your faith private. He wants you to keep your faith just to yourself. Jesus wants you to go public with him with your faith in him. That's why he said, you're the light of the world. You're the salt of the earth. You be out there and be public uh, about it. You, you know, keeping our faith private is kind of like if, uh, if I took this ring off every time I left my home and, and I just put it on a shelf in the garage, got in the car and drove out, out doing all my stuff. Then when I came in, back into the house, I put the ring back on just to wear it around the house. Boy, you know, Susie, <laughs> she get wind of that, man, there'd there'd be some problems in a hurry because even marriage is supposed to be a public thing. It's supposed to be public. Water baptism, our faith in God is not supposed to be a private thing. It's supposed to be public. It's supposed to be that big wedding, big ceremony. That's what water baptism is all about. And and this is so important because, again, listen to Jesus' words. Matthew 10, 32 through 33 Whoever acknowledges me before men in public, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before men, whoever's secretive about their faith, it's just personal, I will disown him before my Father in heaven. This historically, water baptism is the sign and the symbol of someone who is really a follower of Christ. They've made that decision. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. And so, maybe you've never seen this before. You know, we come from different traditions, and like I said, we're different places on our spiritual growth. This is the next step if you've placed your faith in Christ and you have not yet been baptized in water since making that decision to follow Jesus. I want to give you just an example because it's been over a year and a half since we've done this because of COVID and we're going to make it all safe. It's going to be great. You don't have to worry about that. You're going to get a free t-shirt. We need you to sign up. There's even a class on Sunday uh, beforehand at 4.30 and, and from 4.30 to 5.30. We, you've got to sign up to be a part of this. It's a big celebration we're going to have at 6 o'clock. We want to invite the Valley family out. Invite your friends and family out if you're going to be baptized. We'll give you a certificate as well because this is a big deal. Just like you get a marriage license, we want to give you a certificate. Let me give you a little taste of the last time we had baptism or, or uh, not too long ago uh, of what you can expect just so you don't have to be real nervous about it or anything like that. So let's go ahead and show that right now. That gives you a little taste of, of what it's like. It's going to be a little bit different because of COVID. We're not going to have the pastors in the tank. We're going to help you into the tank. And then this is the way that they do it. You know, even in the Jordan River today, the baptism back then was that literally just leader, pastor, would put a hand on top of your head and you go under the water, kind of do like a little squat and you come back out again. Full immersion. <laughs> 
and, and, and then we're going to celebrate with you because it's identifying with Jesus' life, his death, his burial, and his resurrection from the dead. So if you haven't been baptized, I, I encourage you, take the next step. Follow the leader, Jesus Christ. He, he died for you. He's just asking you to get wet for him. Just to follow the leader. Jesus made that decision and was baptized. And it's time for you to do it too. So sign up today. And I want to invite the whole Valley family out for this great celebration as people follow the instruction of Jesus and the example of Jesus. Taking this next step to follow the leader and be baptized in water on June the 13th at 6 o'clock. I'm going to ask right now, would you bow your heads with me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your word that tells us what you expect of us, that instructs us, that challenges us, that leads us, that is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. God, we just ask right now that your word that we've looked at today would shine the next step for each of us to take. Lord, so we're not taking steps back in a following Jesus, but we're taking steps forward, becoming more and more like our Savior and our Lord, Jesus Christ, daily as we follow him. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.